Once it came tearing down the hill towards me, with Truda hard on its heels and the leash dragging behind it. I had heard that you shouldn't take flight when an animal is after you, for example a bear in the forest. The secret was to stand perfectly still and act cool. So I did, stopping the instant I saw it bounding towards me. It didn't help a scrap. It couldn't care less whether I was motionless or not, just opened its jaws and sank them into my forearm next to my wrist. Truda caught up with it a second later, grabbed the leash and yanked so hard it was wrenched backwards. I hurried off, crying. Everything about that animal frightened me. The barking, the yellow eyes, the saliva that ran from its jowls, the round pointed teeth of which I now had an imprint in my arm. At home, I didn't breathe a word about what had happened, for fear of being told off, because an incident like this offered so many opportunities for reproach. I shouldn't have been where I was at the time, or I shouldn't have whined, or a dog. Was that any reason to be frightened? From that day on, terror had me in its grip whenever I saw the brute. And it was fatal, because not only had I heard that you should stand still when a dangerous animal attacks, I'd also heard that a dog can smell fear. I don't know who told me that, but it was one of the beliefs that people passed on and which everyone knew. Dogs can smell if you're frightened. Then they can become frightened or aggressive themselves and go on the attack. If you're not afraid, they're nice to you. How that occupied my mind. How could they smell fear? What did fear smell of? And was it possible to pretend you weren't frightened so that the dogs would smell that and wouldn't notice the real feelings that lay beneath? Conistrum, who lived two houses up from us, also had a dog. It was a golden retriever called Alex, and as meek as a lamb. It ambled after Herr Conistrum wherever he went, but also after every one of the four children if it could. Kind eyes and somehow gentle, friendly movements. But I was even afraid of this one. Because when you came into view on the hill and were about to go in to ring the doorbell, it barked. Not tentative, friendly, or inquisitive barking, but vigorous, deep-throated, and resonant. Then I stopped in my tracks. Hi, Alex, I might say if no one was around. I'm not frightened, you know. It's not that. If someone was there, I would feel forced to carry on, act as if nothing was happening, plow my way through the barking, as it were, and when it was in front of me, its jaws agape, I bent down and patted it a couple of times on its side with my heart pounding and every muscle trembling with fear. Quiet, Alex, Dog Lotar would say, as he came running up the narrow gravel path from the cellar door or rushing from the front door. You're frightening Karl Ulva with your barking, you stupid dog. I'm not frightened, I countered. Dog Lotar just looked at me with a kind of stiff smile, which meant, don't give me that. Then off we went. Where did we go? Into the forest. Down to Ubashilan to a bay. Down to the pontoons. Up to Trumoya Bridge. Down to Gamle Turbaken. Over to the plastic boat factory. Up into the hills. Along Lake Shena. Up to Bimax. Down to the Fina petrol station. Unless, that is, we just ran about in the road where we lived or hung around outside one of the houses there, or sat on the curb, or in the big cherry tree no one owned. That was everything. That was the world. But what a world!
An estate has no roots in the past, nor any branches into the skies of the future as satellite towns once had. Estates arrived at a pragmatic answer to a practical question. Where are all the people moving into the district going to live? Ah, yes, in the forest over there. We'll clear some plots and put them up for sale. The only house there belonged to a family called Beck. The father was Danish and had built the house himself in the middle of the forest. They didn't have a car, nor a washing machine, nor a television. There was no garden, only a drive made from pounded soil in among the trees. Piles of wood under tarpaulins, and in the winter an upturned boat. The two sisters, Ingalil and Lisa, went to the local middle school and looked after Ingva and me for the first years we lived there. Their brother was called John. He was two years older than me. Wore strange homemade clothes, wasn't in the slightest bit interested in what we were interested in, and devoted his attention to other matters, which he never told us about.